Wyndham Hotels and Resorts makes travel possible for all. Whether it's the long haulers looking for a great cup of coffee, a roomier rest for the on-a-wim road trippers, or a place to make summer memories with the whole family. No matter who you are, where you're going, or why, with 24 trusted brands to choose from like La Quinta, Days Inn, and Super 8, your Wyndham is waiting. Get the lowest price at WyndhamHotels.com. Restrictions apply. Visit website for more details. These are very serious charges and reflect a pattern of lies and dishonesty over an extended period of time. They are significant in their own rights. They are particularly significant when done by a lawyer. A lawyer who, through training and tradition, understands what it means to be a lawyer, to engage in honest and fair dealing and adherence to the law. Mr. Cohen disregarded that training, disregarded that tradition, and decided that he was above the law, and for that he was going to pay a very, very serious price. It sounds like Michael Cohen has pleaded guilty and to uh, assisting the president in making these payments. Uh, will he cooperate in a way that is at all damaging to Donald Trump? That we have an unindicted co-conspirator of a federal crime sitting in the Oval Office. So, had nothing to do with Russian collusion, we continue the witch hunt. Thank you very much. Hello and welcome to Trumpcast. I'm Virginia Heffernan and we're going live to tape basically here on Trumpcast. It is late in the day on August 21st, 2018, and this is the best infrastructure week yet. Here is the rundown. Paul Manafort, Donald Trump's former campaign manager, was found guilty on eight of 18 counts in his Virginia trial on financial crimes. These counts include filing false tax returns, not filing a form to report a foreign bank account, and two instances of bank fraud related to loans totaling $4.4 million. The jury did deadlock on 10 other charges, including seven for committing bank fraud or conspiring to commit bank fraud. He also has another trial coming up in D.C. on matters closer to Trump casts heart, money laundering, FARA violations, and the Trump campaign's connection to Russia, but we will save that for September. Meanwhile, on the other side of the split screen, Michael Cohen, the president's fixer. So we've got a campaign manager and a fixer lawyer. We're not talking about coffee boys today. Cohen made the mind-blowing admission in court under oath that he arranged payments to two women, playmate Karen McDougal, famous in my book for being in love with Donald Trump and attracted to him, and porn actress Stormy Daniels. He made those payments at Trump's behest to shut them up about affairs they said they had with the president. Cohen told a judge in the United States District Court in Manhattan that the payments to the women were, quote, at the direction of the candidate and for principal purpose of influencing the election for president in 2016. Cohen has also pleaded guilty to multiple counts of tax evasion and bank fraud and, of course, breaking campaign finance law. What to make of this doubleheader of Cohen-Manafort Day? Joining me on the line is Trumpcast heroine Mimi Roca, a former federal prosecutor in the Southern District of New York. Mimi Roca, welcome back to Trumpcast. Thank you. So Manafort, the Manafort verdict has come in. He's guilty on eight counts. There are 10, 10 counts. There's a mistrial on. But that is not the lead story today. The lead is... Michael Cohen and his guilty plea on several counts. I think it's also eight counts, right? I just help us make some sense of of this plea. So I think the plea is, as you say, really significant for a couple of reasons. It's not 
a plea pursuant to a cooperation agreement, as many people had been speculating. It's a plea, what we call a straight-up plea, um, to a plea agreement. So there's nothing in the agreement that I see that, and, and under normal circumstances that would require him to provide information or testify with the government. That is a, depending on, you know, sort of which perspective you're looking at it from, that is a, either a, a good thing or, or a bad thing. But I still think it's very significant, um, in part, in large part, because of what he said in his allocution, which I think is just huge. So he pled guilty to various charges, bank fraud, tax evasion, and campaign finance violations. And he admitted under oath in court that the campaign finance violations were done at the direction of a candidate for federal office. Mm-hmm. He didn't name Trump mm-hmm. because... That's generally not something that happens in federal court. You don't name people who aren't charged as defendants Mm -hmm. or unindicted co-conspirators. But it's very clear that I think that's who he's talking about. And, you know, that really, I think, cannot be underestimated in sort of its significance because it isn't just him saying it, us reporting it. This is a sworn statement under penalty of perjury before a federal judge. So I think even though it's not a cooperation agreement per se, it shows a level of cooperation that he was willing to admit that under oath. Yeah, I think I, I saw Preet Bharara just um, tweeted, Michael Cohen in a courtroom in SDNY under oath declared that the president directed him to commit a federal crime. And he said that he is rarely, I think he said something like, I'm rarely stunned, but I'm stunned this time. I mean, do you feel that way right now? You know, yeah, we've been... I, am, I am stunned in the sense that, you know, first of all, a little bit just in the process. I mean, the way this came about, I think, is different than what everyone expected, Would that it would either be sort of, oh, he's cooperating or he's not. And this is a little bit of a, a hybrid almost that I really haven't seen much of, which is interesting in mm-hmm. and of itself. Um, but yeah, it's huge that... Exactly as Breit, of course, said it very well. He has he now said that the president of the United States, while he was running for office, while he was trying to get the American public to vote for him, directed Cohen to commit a crime. Mm-hmm. And it also means that he was very much involved in the cover-up that came afterwards. I mean, not only if you think about the lies, the number of lies now that we know were just false complete falsehoods. Not, we always suspected it. We always thought it. But now, you know, we really know it that both Trump, you know, and others on his behalf told um, on television and in other settings. And, you know, now the question is, did anyone lie under oath about this? I don't, I don't think there's been any testimony taken about it so far, but that would be another thing to look at. And it's possible that this could be a whole other sort of obstruction investigation in and of itself. So I I got a call before I I got here from a former Trumpcast guest who worked on McCain's campaign. He's worked on a bunch of campaigns. Um, And he was pretty hyper saying that um, this doesn't look good for the rest of the campaign. This was a small campaign. And this was, was it took at least a few days of the campaign. And that, you know, almost a certain chunk of those people can be presumed to know that's, you know, Kellyanne Conway and Mike Pence and um, the rest of them. I mean, does that come to mind for you or does that seem like overreaching? I I don't know. I I don't think it's overreaching at this point. You know, it's sort of safe. It it, it would be hard to sit here right now and say they all knew. Yeah. But it also would be hard 
to sit here and say they definitely didn't know. Um, you know, we knew that Michael Cohen was in on this because we knew that he was part of actually setting up the payments. Um, it sounds like, you know, there's there's a really good chance now that the accountant, you know, who was mentioned on the recordings, that he likely knew mm-hmm. um, whether other people on the campaign did or not. You know, if I had to speculate, I would say it seems very likely, but we'll have to sort of wait and see how that plays out. Is it possible? I mean, the one thing, you know, while there was a kind of race to a certain finish line today with the um, Manafort trial and the Cohen plea, uh, it occurred to me that Stormy Daniels might actually be the one to deal a, a fatal blow or at least a seriously wounding blow before before the Russia affair. That's a surprise, or it was to me. Yeah, I mean, this seems to be um, sort of coming to a head more quickly, I think in part because it's a little bit less complicated. And that may mm. be why, in part, why we're seeing this, you know, I mean, this is this is fast for, for a plea agreement. I know it didn't feel fast to people, but this is pretty fast for, you know, the, the search of an office um, and just to go right to plea agreement and, and charges and plea agreement all at once. So they clearly were, you know, working quickly um, to get this done. And, you know, I think, we'll see what the next chapter is. This still feels to me like a, a chapter in a, in a book that's not done yet. And I don't just mean the Russia stuff. I, I mean, Michael Cohen. Yeah. Um, oh, really? You know, not, I think some people are speculating, well, he could still cooperate with the Southern District of New York. And that's true. Um, he, he could. It's not unheard of to have someone after plea still go ahead and proffer because that is a really lengthy process. And I think if you're trying to accomplish something quickly, you know, you might sort of put your stake down and then go ahead and have proffer sessions and work on other topics. And you can always plead later to a superseding information. That's what the term would be called with a cooperation agreement. I think that's pretty unlikely. I I won't rule it out, um, Mm -hmm. but it's unlikely. But what seems plausible now is that Michael Cohen you know, he still could be available to Mueller if, if he has information that's that's useful. And in some ways, this almost frees him up to be for, for that process to work more smoothly because his criminal history, his other criminal to- conduct is sort of out of the way now. It's dealt with. Yeah. And he's more free to talk to Mueller um, without concern about that. Um, it shows a level of a level of cooperation with a little C on his part. Um, that might make him more seem more uh, appealing to someone like Mueller, more more trustworthy. And he also is now more open to subpoena. So normally you can't subpoena someone, obviously, because they'll invoke their Fifth Amendment right. Well, now Cohen, having pled to this, at least with respect to these charges, he doesn't, once sentencing is over, which could happen in the next couple of months, he will not have a viable Fifth Amendment right as to these charges. And so he's more susceptible to subpoena. Normally, prosecutors don't want to subpoena someone who's not a full-on cooperating witness and just put them on the stand without preparation. Mm -hmm. But again, I think here, having seen him with this huge admission in court under oath, it would be harder for him to change that story. They now have that under oath statement that they could use to impeach him if they ever needed to. Um, it, it, It if I were a prosecutor, it wouldn't seem so crazy now to subpoena him if you needed him for something else. Interesting. I hadn't heard that. Um, I was remembering something that um, Barara said, I think, around um, around the Flynn 
plea, ancient history, um, that that you all typically had a strategy of um, not getting someone to plead guilty to a much lesser charge, to plead guilty to the highest charges, the most they've done. And that maybe for the reason that you just ex- you just described, then you they can't take you can't take the fifth. Your lies are out, so you're a more potentially more accessible, more cooperative witness. Um, so you think? Right. That, it, well, Pre yeah. was talking about that in the context of cooperators. Okay. Like yeah. Full on cooperation agreement. Uh huh. And right. And and so, Cohen is not that yet. But do you think? That, do you think that and that this, may be one reason why he didn't go down that path? There may be huh. a lot else he would have had to talk about and admit to. Maybe having to do with Trump. Maybe not. But maybe that was just too much. And this was a way to sort of get to a narrow. You know, they reached a plea agreement, which many defendants do. But he also made this under oath admission that could be, I think, important for the bigger picture here. Yeah. Um, it, I mean, it definitely. There's something about. That it just conjures Nixon or conjures, um, you know, the sort of end game of a presidency when someone when, you know, someone confesses under oath that he's been directed to commit a crime by the president of the United States. I mean, it right. may, I don't know how it's playing in West Virginia at the Trump rally, but it's, it certainly, as you say, has a certain um, there's a certain like cartoonish availability of this. So it's like Absolutely. hard to overlook. And it seems uh, like yeah. something that's harder for elected officials to ignore and put their head in the sand about, you know, this isn't yeah. just something we're hearing. This is something that someone swore to under oath. I, I'm not saying that everyone's going to jump up now and do the right, what I would consider doing the right thing, but it, it certainly makes it harder to ignore. So there's, um, the verdict is not entirely in from the curious players um, in the Senate and the Congress, but, but, but Lindsey Graham ever an enigma, has already said no big deal because it, this doesn't mention Russia. Um, and that seems to be the line of the um, of the Trump loyalists. I don't know. What do you make of that? I mean, that the Man- Manafort has his other trial coming up, which is, of course, on the nose with Russia. And Michael Cohen, you know, it looks like his consultancy took donations from Victor Vexelberg and other Russian figures. So um, I don't think anyone's out of the woods yet on Russia. And also, this is bad in itself. Right. I mean, Russia's not done yet. That's the bottom line. So for anyone to say that, you know, I mean, as Trump loves to say many times a day on Twitter, that there's no collusion and it's witch hunt as as to the Russia conspiracy. I, I don't, that's just, calling the game before it's over. Yeah. Um, But it's also a ridiculous standard. I mean, yes, that's what the special counsel is about, but that's not what the Southern District of New York was about. That was referred to them. It it came to the attention of the Department of Justice broadly because of that, but then it ended up in the Southern District of New York, where, as Rob Kuzami said in his press conference today, we do cases like this, you know, a lot. And our election laws are about you know, transparency in, in elections and where money is coming from. And it's a big deal to say that the president directed you to commit a crime to cover something up from the American public in the election process. Mm-hmm. And then if you think about everything that came after that, that means he was 100% knowingly lying about all of that and trying to cover it up. Right, and, all along. you know, if that's not a big deal to Lindsey Graham, then I'm not sure he should be in politics anymore <laughs> because that's that's all about, you know, there's just no credibility left then in, in the system. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. 
with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. So in the so you mentioned the special counsel's office, and I want to get to Mul- I want to get to Manafort and and to the hand of Mueller. But where do you detect? I mean, this strategy that this the strategy that seemed to be in evidence when the Cohen case was referred to SDNY and when um, when they really ran the Manafort um, the Manafort trial with some of the lead prosecutors from the uh, OSC. Um, that split seemed strategic. It seemed interesting. But it, are we now seeing it pay off? Um, in terms of there being two different trials? Yeah. And and what's this like? Are we starting to be able to detect it to tell a little, a little bit better what this what this strategy is about? I mean, is it I don't know. Does it have something to do with pardons? I mean, I'm, I'm just not very good at this chess game. So, well, yeah. You know, I could be wrong, but my understanding was that they had split the charges against Manafort, not because the special counsel wanted to, but because Manafort wouldn't agree to waive venue um, oh, yeah. as to some of the counts. And so they couldn't all be brought in one place. I could be wrong about that, but that was my memory and understanding. I think if whoever strategy it was, whether it was Manafort trying to be difficult and not give an inch mm-hmm. um, and not have the counts tried together, or it was some strategic decision by the special counsel, I think it is turning out to benefit the prosecution, the government here, yeah. um, because you get two bites at the same apple, essentially. Um, I think the verdict today, uh, however one describes it, I think is a victory for the government. You know, they found him guilty of charges in all of the categories. Yep. Um, you know, tax fraud, bank fraud, and uh, false statements. The fact that they split the baby and found some <laughs> on, guilty on some and not on others, that, that's actually pretty common with juries, hmm. especially in complex fraud cases. You mean split juries the baby? Juries love to compromise. Right, split the baby because it seems especially judicious or something like that. Yeah, yeah and it actually it really helps the government on appeal. I mean, uh, I guarantee you it will be a big point in their brief that this was a very careful jury and, you know... A, Court of Appeals, not that I think there were any main points for appeal, but between the judge that Manafort had, you yes. know, who was looking out for him uh, a lot, and this jury, he, you know, would have to have some really good claim on appeal uh, to, to win. The the We had another guest on this show who suggested that Manafort's reasons, uh, this is like super speculative, but that Manafort's reasons for um, not flipping um, and just barely mounting a defense um, in the last week and a half was really that he's actually much more afraid of what what his Russian overlords or Russia-aligned overlords might do to him, that he'd, I think, rather be... He doesn't want to give them up. Mm-hmm. Um, and right. that makes sense to me more than courting a pardon. I don't know, just from his behavior. Yeah, and and, and I think... Um, I, I, I've said that actually before oh, you said, yeah. myself that I thought he was more afraid of the Russians than prison. Um, I think the two sort of go together though a little bit. I mean, it's easier to say, okay, I'm scared and I'm not going to cooperate because you're right. I mean, cooperation normally does not, you can't just say I'm going to cooperate against Trump, but not against, you know, Russians who were involved. Right. It generally doesn't work that way. So he, I think knows enough to know it would be an all or nothing um, endeavor. And that would be, it would be scary to cooperate against the Russians um, if he has information about them, which seems likely. But it's easier to say that and, and sort of 
not go down that path mm-hmm. when you think you have the prospect of a pardon. And I will say there was something that happened during the trial that made me think they were really courting hmm. um, pardon. the pardon. During the defense closing argument, his lawyer went to a place that most defense attorneys really don't go because it's completely impermissible in court, which is mm. he tried to suggest basically to the jury that Manafort, you know, had been targeted for who he was. And he made some comment, I'm paraphrasing, like this could have been prosecuted back in whatever year and it wasn't. Now it's, you know, now it's being prosecuted. Why do you think that is? Uh, um, there were a couple other comments where he, he clearly was trying to insinuate that he was being targeted because of his connection to the president, interesting. Um, which at the beginning of the trial, Manafort had actually tried to keep any mention of the president out. So it felt like once he saw the strength of the defense and he was at this point, he, he made that comment seem to me to be trying to play, you know, into Trump's statements that he always makes of, you know, poor Manafort. And he got in trouble just because he worked for me. And it, right. And all um, this was years ago. And it has it's yes, it, it's just right. uh, and, it's part of the effort um, to get me. And amazing he's using that with a jury, and, and maybe, we don't know how, we don't know, I guess, the proportions of the jury that made it hung, but, um, you know, if it was one or four or whatever, but um, that that argument is so in the air that you could, you know, that there'd be at least one juror willing to, like, virtually nullify things or force a mistrial on yeah, the strength exactly. of some kind and, of, and the, yeah. the judge did give, at the government's request, an instruction to the jury saying, you're not allowed to consider that the motive of the government in bringing charges is not a consideration for a jury, which is very standard. Um, so, and the defense attorney knew that, but he just wanted to get it out there. Hmm. And you're right. It may have, may have had an impact on one juror. We'll, we'll never know. But they still you know, did the right thing based on the evidence. Yeah. Um, well, it's a, it's a huge day. Um, and uh, ideally, you'll be able to take tomorrow off. Um, <laughs> there won't be a... Roger Stone or Don Jr. indictment. Um, Never know. (laughs) um, Thank you so much, Mimi. Thank you. Thanks for having me. And that's it for today's show. Did you like it? Let me know by tweeting at RealTrumpCast or just tweeting at me, at page 88. We'd love to hear your feedback. And what do you want to talk about next? What's important to you that's not getting covered as much as you think it should? Let us know again at RealTrumpCast on Twitter. Our show today was produced by Jason DeLeon. John D. Domenico is, as always, our voice of Donald Trump. I'm Virginia Heffernan, and thanks for listening to TrumpCast.